Welcome home. You're listening to the 180 Church Podcast with Dr. Sammy and friends. Dr. Sammy and friends are resting this week and will return next week. However, we have a leader from our local church community giving today's message. Today's sermon is given by Pastor Billy Kim, Director of Communications at 180 Church and Chaplain at NYU. Uh, so let's put this up to begin. Um, last week, uh, Kanye dropped his newest album, uh, Jesus is King, right? Uh, with a raise of hands, how many have heard about it or listened to it, right? It's pretty good. Um, and so around the world, a lot of people are, are, have, like, are talking about this, especially um, in their internet, whether it's Twitter or Reddit. A lot of people are asking the question, like, is Kanye really rapping about Jesus? Right? Did he really mention Chick-fil-A in his song, Closed on Sunday? Is this really real? Um, is this really serious? Did Jesus really, I mean, did Kanye really give his life to Jesus? And whether you're a Kanye fan or not, whether you're a Christian or not, uh, right now in our culture today, that's actually the question that people are asking, right? And so my friend this week, uh, he sent this meme. Oh, it's already up. That's why. Well, he sent this meme, um, and he said this. He said, um, when a friend gets saved, we go, you know, thank you, Jesus. But when Kanye gets saved, it's, well, yeah, we'll see what happens, right? And I think that's a good picture where um, a lot of people are in their thought process. And to be truthful, I'm one of them. And um, Jesus needs to work on me too because, you know, there's a lot of reasons to be skeptical about Kanye, right? right? You know, the dude um, is such some insane and incredible ridiculous things throughout his career and his life. Granted, this dude is an amazing artist, probably one of the best in our generation. Um, he is a genius artist and a lyricist. But the truth is, this guy is, has said and done some ridiculous things. Right? Kanye is the guy that, you know, in live television said, you know, George Bush hates black people. You know, he is the guy that actually said, you know, slavery is a choice. You know, he's also the guy that actually wrote the song, I Am a God, in his album, Jesus, where he said he talked to Jesus, and he says, what's up, Jesus? And he says, just chilling with the stack of millions. And he says, I know you are the most high, but I'm uh, close high, right? You know, you have to be a little bit uh, narcissistic. Did I do it right? I did it right, right? Yeah, I was working on that. Uh, you got to be a little bit narcissistic. Uh, you have to be um, a, a little bit self-absorbed to be that blasphemous to say that you're almost close to Jesus, right? But the fact is, is this guy who wrote I Am A God and created an album called Jesus, actually now is writing, wrote an album called Jesus King and, and dedicated that totally to Christ. You know, and when you look at that, you're like, what happened? Or what is happening, right? Like, what is going on in Kanye's life? And I think, uh, to answer that question, I want to show you another story. And this is about a story about a guy um, who, in the 17th century, um, was very similar to like Kanye. Uh, the dude was very narcissistic and very self-absorbed, just like Kim. I think both of them could be really good friends if they actually met each other. Um, and also like him, he was actually known uh, to have a really filthy and, and have a ridiculous mouth. Um, he was actually nicknamed the Great Blasphemer. Now, I don't know what you had to do to have your friends or your people nickname you the Great Blasphemer, 
uh, but that's what he was called. In fact, um, in the 17th century, he his, the captain where he was on the ship from, um, and he was a sailor, um, and it was actually a slave ship. So the captain of the slave ship actually uh, said that his name was the Great Blasphemer, and because he would say things that were so filthy, right, so vulgar, so gross, and so like um, so terrible that he said that he couldn't really quantify that in the English language that that was going on right now. Like, that's how bad it was. And if you ever heard this name before, his name was actually John Newton. Now, I'm sure uh, for those of you guys who actually, you know, came to, uh, who go to our church when, when I preach, I often talk about him a lot. Um, and if you don't know who he is, John Newton is the guy that actually penned and wrote the song Amazing Grace, right? And so the question is, how did this guy who was known as the great blasphemer, right, come to a place where he became this guy that actually wrote Amazing Grace? And actually, interestingly, there are two moments that actually happened in his life that were, that's really quite interesting. The first was um, he was actually sold to slavery at one point because he was so unlikable and his crewmates hated him so much, they deserted him into an, a place in an, in an island and he was actually sold to, sold to slavery. And there was actually one point in his life where as he was slave, he was mistreated so badly and he was starving so much that the, the people that actually took care of him the most and actually looked out to him was actually his, like, uh, the, the, the slaves that, uh, that were with him. Meaning the guys that he actually uh, took and saw as someone that was less than himself to make economic gain were actually the same very people that showed generosity and kindness in his life. And then the second part um, that changed his life was when he was about to die. There was a storm that came in. And that was the first moment in his life where rather than cursing God throughout his whole life, he actually asked God to save him. And then toward the end of his life, as he was looking back and reflecting on all the moments where he experienced this kindness and generosity that he didn't deserve, in the moments in his life where he experienced this unmerited favor, he penned the words of Amazing Grace, where he says, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, that I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. And this song and this hymn for over 200 years has been a staple and an anchor for many people in Christianity and for Christians around the world. And brought so much profound reality and power in our lives. And today, that's what I want to talk about, grace. Because what's the commonality between, uh, commonality between Kanye and John Newton? It was the power of grace, amazing grace. Tell the person next to you, amazing grace. Right? And what is amazing grace? Amazing grace, when you look at these two people, and perhaps even ourselves, it's the fact that no matter what we have done, no matter how far we are, no matter what mistakes that we have done or the ridiculous things that we do or doing or have done or have said, no one is too far from God's kindness, love, and redemption. Amen? And so that's what I want to actually talk about. I want to talk about that kind of grace for your life and my life. 
because we're in this new, not new series, sorry. We're continuing this series called New Life. Um, and we've been talking about the idea of salvation. What does that look like? And in the past couple of weeks, uh, Dr. Sammy has been pushing hard and pressing hard about um, recognizing and identifying the sin in our lives, right? Because in order to identify grace or what we need to be saved from, uh, we, need to, we need to understand what's actually the darkness in our lives. And so he, he was saying that we need to recognize the, uh, the, and identify the sin to recognize and identify the grace. And today, I actually want to continue that conversation, and I want to focus on grace. I want to talk about how to receive that grace, right? Because in the Bible, it says it is by grace that we are saved, and it is a gift. It is free. But if we're really honest, to receive grace and to receive something that's free, it's... It's good in concept, but it's very hard to live out, right? For us New Yorkers, right? When we look in the streets and something is free, we go, what's the catch, right? Like, I remember I was walking in the streets and there was a, um, someone was giving out free coffee. It was uh, The Economist. And I was like, ooh, free coffee. I love coffee. Yeah, but it wasn't really free because they wanted to, you know, they wanted my information. I had to sign my name and my email. So it wasn't really free. They wanted my information so they could sell something to me later. Right? And you know, that's what happens, right? Whenever we go out, we're, we're very reluctant when we hear about something that's free because there's always a catch. Or, you know, the example is, is when, um, you know, when you're with your friends or, with your, or you might have noticed that with your parents and, you know, or your family and there's a, after a meal when someone wants to pay the meal, right? People always fight, right, for who pays. And, you know, there's push and pull, and people don't want, people are like, no, I'll pay for it. And they're like, no, I'll pay for it. And then all of a sudden, you come to a compromise, right? You go, okay, no, I'll pay for this one, and then you pay for the next one, right? So it's not really that you're, you're giving a charity to something or you're giving something for free. You're, there's actually a transaction and an exchange, right? Because someone, you don't want to feel like you owe something to somebody, right? And that's like the very Asian way of saying it. It's like never be in debt to anybody. Right? And that's our, often our mentality and even um, our perspective, even when it comes to faith and even relationships. And so even in our lives, you know, we're always in a constant state of earning, trying to get approval from things. Right? In our work, we have to, you, we have to earn our keep right? to get promoted, to get a higher salary, maybe except Sean, because he always talks about, not, about not, not working. I don't see him do work. Just kidding. He does a little bit of work, I think. Right? <laughs> right? But, you know, but, but in our lives and in our culture, it's all about keep making your keep, right? Doing what you need to do to earn, your, to earn your status and to earn what you get to do what you need to do, right? For even relationships, right? There's always a condition we feel that we need to earn someone's approval, to earn someone's love, to maintain the relationship, right? Everywhere we go and everywhere and how we live our lives and embody our lives, it's more of a meritocracy. There's a condition where we feel that we need to prove and earn our love, our worth, our value, right? So whether you're in school and you, you got whether you're in school that, um, and you don't get the proper grade, there is no grace because if you don't pass that test, you're not... You're not going to graduate, you're not going to get that certain degree, and you're not going to get to school that you want to, right? Whether at work, you're not going to get that promotion. There is, if, you, if you notice our culture today, there's, we're so limited in grace and forgiveness. There's no room for mistake. You know, like in our culture right now, there's like this cancel culture that's going on. And don't get me wrong, 
Um, I believe in high accountability, and I'm not saying that, but there is a, there's a wave that's actually going on where like anything that we do, anything that we say, there's no room for mistake because it will be uh, attacked and um, held against you. Right? And we see that pressure, that overwhelming heaviness of perfectionism actually flowing in our lives where, like I said, whether it's in our school, in our work, or in a relationship, if we don't measure up in the standard that's within the world and in our head, we, um, there's, there's so much stress and anxiety that actually flows through our lives. And that comes within the world and, in our, and, and every day in our lives, and even also even on our faith. Where even us, where this is supposed to be a house of grace. And we know and we hear that a lot of times, but somewhere along the way, even, even in our own faith coming into church, it often feels like a sense of moralism or behaviorism that actually flows in. And, in no, and for some of us like, that grew up in the church, we're like, oh, yeah, grace. And all of a sudden, it became, maybe if you fix yourself a little better, you, know, you get a little bit more self-righteous, it becomes more about what you do and what you, and what you shouldn't do and all you do do all the time and all that, right? And that's what happens. And so that's why I want to talk about grace today. I want to talk about amazing grace. And for some of us, it might be experiencing grace for the first time today. Uh, for some of us, it might be returning to the lens of grace and the life of grace. But that's what I want to uh, share with you today. How do we receive this grace? And what does this grace look like? Cool? All right. So we're going to go to John 8, and we're going to find out how through the story of the woman that was caught in adultery. So let's look, let's look at verse 2. And verse 2 says this, At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this man was caught, sorry, not this man, teacher, this woman was caught in the, adult, in the act of adultery. Now let's stop right there for a moment because um, this is very interesting of uh, what's going on because here we find the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, which were the moral elite in the day, bringing in a woman that was caught in the act of adultery. Now that itself should bring us questions, right? Because how do you actually catch a couple in the act of adultery? Right? Usually they're very sneaky when that happens. So what did these Pharisees do? Did they have a secret sex police? You know, right? Were they creeping around looking for these particular, this particular couple? Right? And they're like, ah, I gotcha. Like, like, how did they catch them in the act of adultery? It's very, very odd. And the other part is, where is the guy in all this? It takes two from the last time I checked. Right? But where is the guy in this? He's culpable, but he's not here. Right? You can see that there's this double standard that's actually happening. Yet, regardless of what's going on, the woman is the one that got caught. The woman is the one that's actually presented, and she's now being held accountable. Right? And because she's probably caught in the act, and it's in the very early morning, most likely, when she's thrown into this crowd in front of Jesus, she's probably naked. Maybe she has a bed sheet, if she's lucky. We don't know. But if she's caught in the act, that's mostly what's actually going on. And what you see here is this woman um, in probably the, one of the greatest mistakes in her life and in her darkest shame, right? You see the Pharisees and the teachers of the law throwing, in, uh, throwing her sin and exposed to everybody and says, teacher, 
This woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? Right? And we know the reason why they're saying this, as we see later on, is because they wanted to trap Jesus. Right? Jesus was known to be a friend of sinners. You know, the outcasts, the, the marginalized, the people that no, don't normally go to church. Right? And in this moment and in this way, he's, they're actually trying to trap Jesus because, hey, if he says that you should condemn this woman to death, you know, that would ruin his reputation. Right? And his ministry would have diminished. And on the other hand, if he says, free her, don't worry about it, let, let her go, right? They would call him a false teacher because he was the one that actually said, I, I have come here not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And so you see right now what's going on is that Jesus is in a way in a rock and a hard place because the truth is, even though there's a conspiracy going around with this woman, the reality is that through the law, she actually deserves death. In Leviticus, in the, in the law of Moses, it says that those who are actually caught in adultery, it's punishable by death. Like, for example, this happened to me. It wasn't a death thing, but um, I remember like a, couple, a long time ago, actually, um, I was actually thrown into jail. Yes, your pastor was thrown into jail. I blame Henry on this one. Because we were driving, and uh, we were driving to small group, and I had a suspended license. Now, why I had a suspended license is another story. <laughs> but I was driving with a suspended license to small group, and, and we were running, we were running late, and Henry was like, Peeves, this is a good idea. You should take a right turn. I was like, Henry, there's an illegal right turn. You can't do it. He's like, don't worry about it. You'll be okay. <laughs> so I listened to Henry. I make the right turn, boom, sirens goes on, and I'm like, oh no. So um, they go in, you know, the cops come in, and then they ask for my license. I know it's suspended, and I'm just like, what is gonna happen? Few minutes like pass by, and then all of a sudden I hear, can you please step out the door? And I was like, oh no. I step out the door, the police comes in, I had to put my hand on the on the on the cart, so and then they go, I'm sorry, we, realize, we, looked through, we looked through your records and we, said, we noticed that your license is suspended. We need to arrest you. And I tried to get out of it. I was like, officer, I'm a pastor. <laughs> Try to use the holy card. And then I had Henry as my witness. He goes, Henry, come on. He goes, he's my pastor. <laughs> and he's like, please don't arrest him. He's my pastor. He, he's done no wrong, right? <laughs> it didn't work. <laughs> And you know, you know what's interesting? The, the police officer said this. He goes, I'm sorry. I know even though you're a pastor, I'll try to help you out by covering the handcuffs while you're walking. You know? And that's what they did. But, <laughs> so you don't feel that much shame. But he, but he said this. He goes, the law is the law. And by the law, we have to arrest you. And so I was in the holding cell for overnight with 40 other guys, and it was really uncomfortable. Um, very scary. Uh, but they do give you peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. They actually do do that. But yeah, I was holding this up because the law is a law. Um, and I share that because right here, that's what you see. Um, with this woman, in this moment, based on uh, the Levitical law through the law of Moses, um, it was punishable by death. Someone or both parties that were caught in adultery, that was the punishment. And so what does Jesus do? 
right? What does Jesus do in this scenario? We know that he writes something on the ground, and we don't know what he writes. All these scholars and academics are like wondering what this is, but we will never know. We'll know in heaven, right? And so he gets up after he writes something, and he goes this powerful phrase. And it says, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And at this, those who begin to herd begin to go away one by one, the oldest ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman standing there. So clearly, the older people were wiser. And I think that's actually what happens when you get older. Right? You, some people are shaking their heads no, but hopefully that as we're older, we realize that there's a lot more flawed in us than we realize. So the older disappears one by one until only Jesus and the woman is left. And, the, and Jesus is there because we know that he is perfect. He is, no, he is without sin. And he tells her, he goes, uh, Woman, where are they? Have no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then he says, neither do I condemn you. You know, Jesus had the power. Uh, he was the right judge to punish this woman by death. She deserved it based on the law based on the culture of that day as well. But instead of choosing to, to punish her uh, and take her life, what Jesus showed was mercy. What Jesus showed was kindness. What you call that is grace. Like for example, um, so you know, as, lo as lo a lot of you guys know, um, uh, I, I do college ministry and I love college ministry because uh, a lot of the college students are so honest. And so there are times when, they're, when they miss church over the years. Um, I, I usually call them and, or meet up with them after. It goes, hey, I didn't see you on Sunday. What happened? And, you know, half the time it's, you know, they're pretty honest. And they go, you know, Peters, I'm so sorry I couldn't make it. I went partying hard last week. Uh, I mean, not last week. I went partying hard uh, on, sun on Saturday night, and I was hungover. I went to Maru. I went to Mission. Doc, it's not circle anymore, it's all it's mission now. Mission is the new circle, by the way. So just, just updating you, mission, Ichi, whatever new club there is. And then they go, Peeves, I'm so sorry I couldn't make it. I didn't want to come to church hungover. You know, he goes, Peeves, I'm so sorry. I did not want to come to church high, right? And, and I would tell them, I was like, dude, come to church as you are. And so one person actually took that to heart. His name was Joe Lou. And if you don't know who Joe Lou is, we, told him, we talked to him on an, an announcement. The guy that's in postback, you know, in Columbia, pursuing medicine. But that time when he was in college, he was in under another kind of medicine. And I'll tell you, I don't know what it was. But all I knew that when he was there, he was in the back seat, all the way in the back. And he had a hat covering his face like he was full of shame. What I realized is, when I went closer after service and I was seeing what he was, he was like, there was something on his face, a big scar. I don't know what happened that night, but he kind of told me that something happened and he fell in the ground. Right? And I remember having an honest conversation with him. And he, and, and he was sitting there and he went, Peeves, he goes, like, I don't know why I'm here. I shouldn't be here right now. He goes, Peeves, to be honest with you, I'm high. And I'm like, you're high right now? He goes, yeah, I'm high. And I was like, and I don't think I should be here. I should leave. And I remember telling him this, 
And I remember in this conversation, I remember saying to, I said to Joe, I was like, Joe, when did church, when was church all about being perfect? You know, when was church about being about like having it all together? Didn't Jesus say that he came uh, not for the healthy, but for the sick? Right? Isn't this a place where we can actually come as we are, broken as we are, in our mess? Because that's what this place is really about. That's what Jesus is about. It's about sinners that are in need of grace and why we come here. And I share that story with you also as a fellow sinner because that's what Christianity is all about. This is why we are all here. We're not here because we're perfect and we're great. We're here because God's great and we need God. We need his grace. And I don't know what you might be going through right now. Uh, I don't know. You might be struggling with some kind of shame. You might be struggling with some type of uh, whatever problems that you're going through. And honestly, I don't know. And I don't kind of want to know. But it's OK. If you want to tell me, you can. I'm kidding. I want to know. Um, and, I, and I don't know what you're wrestling in your life right now. But I just want to let you know that whatever you're going through, whatever past mistake that you have, or whatever overwhelming feeling that you're experiencing, in, in this passage, in this word right here, Jesus is telling you and me that he does not condemn us. You're forgiven. You're free. And so what is it like to receive grace? What does it mean to receive amazing grace? This is the point. It's accepting that God loves you, that God's love for you has nothing to do with your behavior, but everything to do with his goodness. You know, there was a a quote that I read that was really powerful, and it was about grace, and his name was Philip Yancey. And he said this about grace. He says, There's nothing that you can do to earn God's love more, and there's nothing that you can do to make him love you less. And when I read that personally, and this was this week, when I read that this week, um, a part of me was actually freed, but also afraid. You know, a part of me was actually felt the, uh, felt the freedom because when I read that, I was like, oh my gosh, that means all in, everything about my past, everything about mistakes, even the mistakes that I'm doing right now and again and again and again, God, you forgive me from it. But there was a part of me that was actually very fearful because that meant that thing, the things that I do, the perform, it attacked the performer in me. I don't know if you guys are performers here. I'm a performer. You know, I like, the, I like people's approval, right? That's why I act the way I do sometimes, right? And gregarious in that way. And, what, and, and that attacked me, and I was so afraid because it was saying that there's nothing I could do. All the good things that I try to stack to do, all the things that, you know, that I try to add points in, in a way, God doesn't really care about that. And that freaked the heck out of me. And I don't know about you, and I don't know if you struggle with performance, but what the good news of the gospel is and what's so beautiful about God's grace is that it breaks that cycle and that impossible standard of perfectionism that you and I experience every day. Right? And whatever we might be feeling and the overwhelming expectations that we might have about ourselves or what the culture says about us or we might think that as we go into church what people think that we should be or how we should behave or how we should act, 
right? And even if we fall short again and again and again, and we know our mistakes and repeat them over and over again, it means that God still loves us and God forgives us and frees us from those things. And that's the power of God's amazing grace because it has nothing to do with our behavior and has everything to do with God's goodness. Because if you look at Jesus and the way he interacted with everybody in, in his ministry, whether it was this woman, whether it was the story of the prodigal son, whether it was about the woman in the well, whether it was about his disciples, it was never, ever about behavior. It was always about capturing their heart, redeeming their heart, forgiving their heart to be free from whatever things that they were struggling with. And so I don't know what you guys are going through today, but I do pray that whatever it might be, whether it's living in that pressure or needing to be forgiven or forgiving yourself or forgiving others, I pray that the Spirit of God will show you where you need to embody and live out and experience that grace today. Okay, I have 12 minutes, so I'm going to finish up. All right, so next. Um, Verse 10 says, Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then he says, Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Now, in, now theologically, I, I want to step back a little bit. And, and the question I have to ask is, what gives Jesus the right to, condemn, uh, to, either, to be the judge of this woman? Right? Like, she deserved death, but what gave Jesus the right to either condemn or save this woman? And we know, based on scripture, it's because he took that sin uh, upon ourselves on the cross because of his sinless life. Now, it's actually a foreshadow if you really think about it. Because this woman comes in vulnerable, naked, um, and, and ready to actually experience death. But you see that actually happening to Jesus moments at the end of his ministry in his life where he, he took it upon himself. Her sin and my sin and your sin and our sins where he came to the cross, even though he was perfect in every way and he didn't even deserve it. But he was on that cross, vulnerable, naked, with uh, actually people throwing stones at him and also experiencing the most excruciating death in the first century, which is the crucifixion. Because a lot of people ask, um, how does mercy and grace meet? I mean, how does mercy and justice meet? Where is the justice, right? And you see that justice here, where, she, where Jesus was able to forgive this woman because he took it upon himself. And that's the power of the good news, folks, that Jesus took the sins of you and I, even though he didn't have to, to redeem you and I, to give us a new life. And that's what's so amazing and so powerful about grace. You know, we talk about Kanye, right? Hopefully we'll see the power and the change of his life uh, and the grace manifest. You see the transformation and the renewal of the goodness and the kindness of God's grace in John Newton, where this guy who was... Um, who sold slaves and used that for his economic game that became one of the main factors to abolish slavery, right? And, and freed slaves in England. And even to myself. Man, I've seen 
the grace of God redeeming and saving me every day. And I was sharing that with my, my small group in the past two weeks. Man, these, these sermons about sin, was, our, our small group was like, damn, this is hard, this is tough. And, I, and, and I, was, I, was, I, was, I was being very honest, and I was sharing with my small group, and I'm sharing with you guys, that if I didn't have Christ in my life, guys, I would be a total narcissist, maybe even worse like Kanye. Maybe that's why I could relate to him. Uh, I like him. But I would be like a borderline sociopath, psychopath, and be so narcissistic. If there's anybody in the Marvel Universe, I was telling my small group, I was like, I would be Loki. I, I was watching Thor, and I was like, I want to be Thor. But I really see myself as Loki, and I saw that as in the mirror. And, and, and it's true because for me, like, I, I wanted to be awesome. I don't know if you guys like to be awesome, but I wanted to be awesome. And so my life was always about using people, seeing them as resources for my game. And it's even so bad to a point where I even deluded myself to say that I, to use ministry for God, to say that it was for God, but really for it's to myself. And I was convicted of that. I was crushed by that. I was confronted with that. And I'm like, why? Like, then I was like, God, why am I here? Why am I here in ministry? Why am I doing this? <laughs> Why am I here even preaching right now? And I got to say, it's because of God's grace. Like, I'm here preaching not because I'm awesome or I'm holier than you guys. Honestly, I came in today in the mindset of just being a brother in Christ, a sinner saved by grace just like you. And I just wanted to share my heart with you. And I don't know why God still put me here as a pastor because I was a person that uses people but by his grace and his freedom and his salvation, God's been transforming me. And I'm not still there yet. I, I still have a lot of things to work on. But to, and, he, and he, God's calling me to not to be a person that uses people, but to love and invest in people. Make it about them. Make it about God. And that's why I do what I do. Um, that's why I believe. Um, and that's why when I see amazing grace, when I see people's lives being transformed and when I, when I do ministry, I am, I am so eternally grateful and my heart is broken because I, it has nothing to do with me but it has everything to do with God's goodness. And so I don't know where you guys are and I don't know if you need that freedom today and I don't know if there's places in your life where you're thinking, God can't save me from this and I want to tell you that over 2,000 years, and you see people throughout Scripture where God has, where Jesus has encountered people again and again and again. The redemption and the renewal and the new life that he's given everybody. And that's the invitation of the gospel and the good news. So how do we receive the good news of the gospel? You know? How do we receive grace? This is it. Accepting that Christ died for you to bring new life and so I would, like you, I would like you guys to stand. And I want to invite you to that grace. I want to invite you to that new life. I want to invite you to that experience of redemption that's found in Christ Jesus. Now, how many people here struggle with perfectionism? Raise your hand if you struggle with perfectionism. How many people lying? Raise your hand too. <laughs> Raise your hand. Perfectionism is uh, just chronic insecurity in disguise. Millennials are the most gifted generation ever. 
my son might disagree. He says Gen Z are better now, but whatever. He's 12. What does he know? Um, but you, you are expected to know everything because you can learn it. And so there's a lot of pressure on you, especially if you're here in New York. And I don't know when. Tell someone next to you when. Because it's not if. It's not but. It's when the penny drops. You're, gonna, you're going to find yourself. You might be already in that situation where you're with the best in the world and you ask the question, the imposter syndrome, do I really belong here? Can I really do this? And we're in this doggy dog world. And the only place you're going to be able to find true grace is coming to the cross. It's meaning if you're a seeker and you don't know about the cross, it's about meaning Jesus. You read the narrative of who Jesus is. He says, he doesn't condemn you for the things you've done. And one thing Peebs didn't tell you about the story of getting arrested is he didn't have to get arrested. We have a court officer right here at our church. We have something called the PBA card. How many people have a PBA? You know what a PBA card is? Well, he had that in his wallet and didn't give it in. And even though we had um, Stu call the officer, he's like, bro, I'm sorry. He didn't show it to me. We could have avoided this whole situation. But for the sake of illustration, the law is the law. And, and the law is the law, but what? Grace is what? Grace. How many people here need grace? So everyone, let's lift our hands to God today. It's okay. We know you are imperfect. We know that there's shame, there's pressures. We want you to know that the law is the law. That's the old system, but the gospel is under a new system. Yeah, he didn't deserve to get off, but if you represent by Jesus and you're in Jesus, then you earn something you never worked for. Not only are you free from punishment, but you receive approval and love. And I don't know about you, but that's the most important thing we need in the city today. So religion is about what you have done and what you will do, but the gospel is about what Jesus has done. The gospel is about what Jesus can do in you. Aren't you tired of doo-doo? I'm serious. I mean, some of you guys are smart. You think you're smart. You probably are kind of smart sometimes. But you keep doing. We, you, you find yourself in that literally doo-doo situations the shenanigans we create. So take off your do list today, and I want you to come to the system of grace. The gospel is about what Jesus has done, what Jesus is doing, and what Jesus can do. Amen? Because he's great.
because he loves you. So, Father, today we come before you this afternoon, come back to the gospel, the simplicity of the gospel. For those of us who are believers, sometimes we forget that it's not about what I need to do. It's about what Jesus has done. For those of us who are religious, it's just always a little more. When Jesus said it is finished. For those of us who are seekers, you go, well, I'm not even the arena. The things I've done, the things I feel, they just seem so big. Will you invite Jesus into your life to show you how big he is, how great he is? And some of you are narcissists, like Kanye. Well, you're in New York, right? You listen to his music? You go, no, my sins are too great. You don't know what I've done. Sometimes when I talk to my kids, that's what I feel like. They go, you don't know what I've done, Dad. I go, no, everything you've done, I have a camera. <laughs> but sometimes we... we hyperbolic exaggerate and personify sin to a point and it could be great but it's not greater than the cross it's not greater than the the path that God has created that's why you can come where you bow your heads for the benediction may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. All God's people say, amen. God bless you. Go in peace. Hey, everyone. We just have some community news for you as we end our podcast today. We want to invite you to join us for our Sunday service. We meet at the AMC Lowe's Theater at 19th and Broadway in Manhattan at 12 noon, and we'd love to see you guys there. We also have a prayer text hotline where you can send your prayer requests. It's available at 539-7-PRAYER and at prayer at 180church.tv. In the midst of life, if you need prayer, our team is available to lift you up in your struggles, and we're always there for you. You can check out our Bible reading group online at 180brg.tumblr.com and on Instagram as well at 180brg. And it's a great resource for being grounded in God's Word and really plugging God's Word into our daily lives. You can also find us online through our Instagram page at 180church and our church website at 180church.tv. And lastly, if you'd like to make an offering, you can do so electronically at our website at 180church.tv. 